Welcome to Common Ground Berlin, a podcast where we dive deeply into issues that matter to you in the German capital and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Our episode today is the second and final part of our look at how artificial intelligence is being used to manipulate the public and ultimately democracy. This week, we are exploring what's transpiring on this side of the Atlantic with AI, or KI, Künstliche Intelligenz, as it's referred to in German. First, there is news from Chancellor Olaf Scholz's traffic-like coalition government. It recently shared with news agency DPA its plans to create legal standards for artificial intelligence. The plan is to launch three departments, including an advice center for artificial intelligence and an algorithm assessment unit to help authorities involved in security tasks, all of which would keep tabs on the misuse of AI. For the first time, Scholz's coalition also provided a timeline for implementation, which is at the end of 2024. But the 26-page report is unlikely to silence critics like digital expert and the left MP Anke Domscheit-Berg. They say Schulz's government, like Angela Merkel's, is taking too long. Domscheit-Berg spoke to broadcaster ZDF's show Politics. Sie versucht genau das The government is doing exactly the same thing it did with digitalization and its management, even though it already has the concepts for those structures. They've even been budgeted since 2021. Money for planning these structures is also in the budget through 2025. But how much longer does the planning phase really need to go on? We need this now. The show's host, Nicole Diekmann, agreed. She says it's high time for the government to kick it into high gear, adding, otherwise we will be left behind and flooded with misinformation. Diekmann and other journalists also warn that the far-right Alternative for Germany party is already making more use of AI than any other German political party to bolster their arguments. For example, widely circulated fake images of a blonde girl holding her hands to her face with the headline, Afghan attacks girl with mace, and another depicting a scary crowd of yelling, dark-complected refugees. Diekmann asked AFD's deputy parliamentary leader Norbert Kleinwächter about why he used AI to portray refugees and foreigners as dangerous. I illustrated this with artificial intelligence, and illustrating means not depicting it in a realistic way as a photograph, but rather overemphasizing it in a certain way, like a caricature. The point is when I talk about illegal border crossings, when I talk about highly criminal businesses, that I'm actually talking about aggression and a dangerous situation for Germany. So what does the use or misuse of AI mean to democracy in Germany and Europe? Our senior producer, Dina El-Sayed, spoke via Zoom to Joanna Bryson, who is professor of ethics and technology at the Hattie School of Governance in Berlin. Let's start with this question. What are your concerns about AI and democracy in Europe and in Germany in particular? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I'm actually less worried in Europe and in Germany than in some other parts of the world. <laughs> But um, in fact, one of my interests is whether it's true that having a more modern democracy than the British colonial democracies um, has actually helped uh, defend Europe because you have coalition governments. And so there has to be more different sub-electorates that you are, are somehow diverting um, if you were trying to get involved. I guess the biggest concern we all have is what is the role of using artificial intelligence to um, alter voters' uh, behavior 
and who does it? So on the one hand, we want, I mean, I think sometimes it's amazing that we forget this. I, I actually heard a politician say once that she didn't really care whether uh, Donald Trump's uh, voters had been influenced by Russia or not, but what she very much cared about was the fact that they didn't care. You know, they're like, whatever my opinion is now, I don't, I, it's right. And if Russia gave it to me, then Russia is not a bad place, <laughs> you know? And so she had previously thought that social media was a way that she could find out what her constituents really cared about. And now she was seeing that their constituents' concerns uh, could be affected by others. But that's what I always thought politicians were for. They're supposed to be leaders, not just, you know, if we were doing direct democracy, we'd do that. It's not effective. So it is both that I'm concerned about artificial intelligence being misused, um, but I'm also concerned that we haven't thought hard enough about what democracy is to know even what misuse is. You and your colleagues published a paper three and a half years ago on potential security threats from AI in politics and proposed better ways to forecast, prevent and mitigate those threats. Have the threats or the solutions you proposed back then come to pass? You know, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really embarrassing question. My, that was an enormous project. It's one that I think it's the only one where I was like on this giant team of people. And um, my main contribution was getting them to change the name from the threats of AI to the threats using AI. So I was very, very, at that point, worried about the people that were treating the technology as the enemy rather than realizing that we needed to think about who was using the technology. And so I've been really happy that that conversation has by and large gotten smarter, at least at the high level. So you still see sometimes ignorance like techno determinism, that people think that AI is itself doing something, you know, but by and large, at least at the policy level, people are getting the idea that what we need to think about is who is acting through the AI and are their actions legal? So that basically just because something is digital or something is AI, Um, doesn't mean that all the previous, like, for example, election advertising rules shouldn't be thrown out the window. Is the Kremlin more adept at using AI than Brussels? Where in Europe have they been successful in using AI to manipulate public or governmental action and opinion? Well, the main obvious example, uh, alleged example, is, of course, uh, Brexit. Um, But the point is that the government that was elected through that process refused to release the report about the Russian interference, right? So we don't know the full extent of what, what's going on, although we have people like Christopher Wiley who've gone ahead and written books about what they knew. And similarly, we've seen uh, interesting things released uh, by William Burns, uh, the current head of the CIA, then a member of the State Department, about what was going on with Russia and the U.S. things. We do also know that um, in the run-up to the Ukraine war, There was an enormous amount of disinformation that was coming in Russian language and actually from October of 2021 in German language. But they didn't start ramping up the misinformation in English language until February, uh, until the actual act of war, which was kind of interesting that they were very concerned they were trying to bring Germany along with them. And so I think there's an awful lot of documentation about that and the people are aware of that. But again, proving for sure that that was the Kremlin rather than, I don't know, whatever, war bloggers or something. That seems improbable. Like, why, which war blogger is going to say, oh, I think I'll start tweeting in German, right? <laughs> you know, but, but that, that's what was happening, right? And, they, and I think they were very concerned. A lot of people, I, I also see this as an American citizen with also British citizenship, which I took in order to have EU citizenship, sitting in Berlin. Um, I see a lot of governments coming through. You can imagine which ones I'm talking about who would rather talk to Germany than talk to the EU. 
And so I think a lot of people didn't like there being this alternative power source that is, that is more strong than Russia. You know, Russia is only as strong as what? It's like, it's like Belgium, what is it? Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg combined. That's the size of economy that Russia has. So it doesn't like the EU being something that's a, a, a solid force that's much more important than it is. And do you think any particular political party in Germany um, is employing AI more than others? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm working with the SDP and I like the way they think about things. But, you know, the honest truth is that there's not a lot of digitalization in Germany. And, uh, you know, I don't like to rampantly speculate, but sometimes I really wonder with a number of countries if the entrenched interests of larger manufacturing are sort of opposed to thinking about digital Uh, the digital economy, be, you know, the digital economy is more mobile. There's a lot of reasons that threatens older orders. Uh, having said that, like I said, I, I do actually think Germany has been, uh, or was, I should say, with the previous government, was actually doing quite good things at the European level with the AI Act. I am more critical of the FTP's uh, policy. It is more sort of like the libertarian uh, West Coast American, no longer the line coming out of Washington on sort of anti-regulatory, you know, It's like when the anti-abortion people call themselves pro-life, you know? They're like, oh, oh we're the pro-innovation. We're all pro-innovation. There's literally, I've never been in a meeting about digital regulation that wasn't pro-innovation, right? Everyone is pro-innovation, but actually you get more innovation when you have decent antitrust um, enforcement. You know, markets do have to be governed. That's why we have governments and they ought to do their job. We recently interviewed Common Sense Media CEO Jim Steyer, who advises President Biden about artificial intelligence. He predicted the EU will get a handle before the US on regulating AI, given what Brussels has done with the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, holding social media platforms to account. Do you agree? I think that's true. Basically, we are ahead right now in terms of regulation. And I think that's one of the reasons I said it. it's not clear that right now the United States is the leading democracy. It, it seems to be one that's actually slightly more challenged by the current technology or something, something about the current situation than the European ones. I mean, honestly, some of the research I do on political polarization shows that the wealth inequality is something that, that leads to polarization. And then polarization, of course, everyone knows leads to being much harder to govern. Um, so it may be that it's just uh, about this difference in opinion about how much governance there should be. But anyway, right now, I think the whole world knows, and certainly they talk about this in the UNESCO and the UN, we're watching as an experiment, is the GDPR working? Is the Digital Services Act going to work? Is the AI Act going to work? So I don't think anyone thinks that the European solutions are perfect. I don't think anyone thinks ever that we're going to write the perfect law. Anyone will. But right now, Europe is the ones that are floating out the um, legislation most people are looking at. The truth is China has actually been doing some very interesting things in digital governance. And actually, some of them have been quite successful. So they are actually increasing innovation by reducing uh, market concentration. But this is actually a preliminary research. I, uh, we haven't got that published yet. So I shouldn't say that they are, but we have preliminary evidence indicating that they're being affected. Many people are aware that China has been moving forward with digital uh, regulation, but they sort of don't know what that means because they're, they're not sure how to compare autocracies and democracies. What role do you think AI will play in Germany's next federal election? And will the federal authorities be able to prevent voter manipulation? Well, this is a huge question, of course. And, and actually, the next election that I think we should all be worrying about is um, not only the U.S. election that's coming up, but actually, in a way, more importantly, the European Parliament. 
Um, so the European Parliament is the point at which often there's been protest votes. So it seems like a you know people's threshold for BS is lower, <laughs> right, for the for the parliamentary elections. But they're actually super super important. And so um, I think we really really have to be looking at the European elections. The next election after that, I guess Germany would be the next year. So I hope that we will continue to be resilient. I hope that we're going to do a lot of really great work. But of course, and with any one election, with any one country, it, you can never be sure exactly what caused the problems. But there's been some beautiful work. People are getting very good at documenting this. And this is something I wanted to say earlier. So at the same time, we've seen um, you know, misinformation spread. And we actually know, again, that, for example, polarized voters are more likely to spread uh, misinformation than others. A lot of people haven't uh, paid attention to the fact that we've also seen information spread. And uh, there are some papers out that are showing that, for example, people who read Twitter were getting uh, quite accurate information about COVID, right? Much more than other platforms, which is what, why it's problematic that the U.S. has allowed uh, Twitter to be destroyed, to be privately purchased and destroyed. Uh, so th these are the kinds of things I think that now are going to have to be handled, not just at the EU level, but probably transnationally, like through UNESCO and the UN um, and organizations like that. I don't think we're going to have a single global governance, but I think we are going to have to think about this like as a security treaties that people aren't allowing uh, disproportionate amounts of power to go to single individuals and that they are recognizing and defending essential infrastructure, which is often transnational. But some people don't want to wait for governments or international bodies to act. They are taking steps to expedite public discussion about AI. One is Boris Eldoxin a 53-year-old artist working with photography and AI. He drew worldwide attention for refusing to accept a prize at the Sony World Photography Awards last spring for his entry called Pseudom Nisha, the Electrician. The haunting black and white image depicting two women from different generations was actually AI-generated. Dina interviewed Eldoxin in our studio at Potsdamer Platz. In February, they contacted me telling that I was selected uh, as the category winner and immediately I told them this is an AI generated image. I'm active in Germany in helping to shape the relationship between AI and photography and I strongly recommend either if you want to continue with me as a selected uh, winner to have this open debate in a Zoom talk, anything like this or disqualify me and give it to someone else. That would be fine. And the answer I got was very short. <laughs> it was like, it's okay, you can keep it. And if you like, yeah, come to London to the award ceremony. And then I thought, well, this is not really an answer or um, giving me the feeling that they have understood the problem. So I waited for months for the press release. But the journalists are clever. And they contacted me very early on the morning. The first journalist was from a Polish uh, photo platform and he asked me, is it AI or not? And I said, yes, it's AI. I told them I have no idea why they don't communicate it. And they asked me from the Polish platform, can you write a statement? I said, yes, I can. I do just now. And two hours later, the press um, officer of the organizers contacted me showing that he had no clue that his team did not inform him about the nature of my image. And he said, listen, we get so many inquiries. Can you tell me more about your image? And I had a statement for the Polish platform already written. So I 
responded within 20 minutes and sent it to him and got a response six, seven hours later in the evening. And it was, again, a short email with a smiley and thank you. So at this point, I could have thought, okay, they're using my statement. They didn't. <laughs> Friends of mine from the German uh, photo magazine scene, they asked directly, is it AI or not? And they got a generic reply. Yeah, It was just like, hello, thanks for your email. To quote our CEO, we support the medium in its development, expressions, thank you, bye-bye. AI was not even mentioned. So I realized that they have no interest in talking about it. I got many inquiries through social media asking me what's happening, what kind of bullshit are you doing here? And I said... You mean from fans or from institutions? From photographers. Uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. They were just concerned yeah, because I never kept it a secret that this image is AI. I had done many interviews before in, in Germany in a magazine in January showing how it was developed. If you just go onto my webpage or Instagram, you know it's not a secret. And I said, I told them, I don't know why they keep it a secret. Maybe you ask. They didn't get an answer. So I wrote again and I said, listen, you can't continue like this. You are getting emails. I'm getting emails and messages. It is very important to talk about this. And why didn't you use my statement for the press? But then they said, okay, we can talk about it. We can have a Q&A on our blog before the award ceremony. I'm going to forward you to our editor. And I said, yes, fine, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I had a day later an email contact with the editor saying, I'm going to put the questions together. But it never happened. <laughs> I waited 20 days for it to happen. It never happened. And in the end, um, yeah, my decision was clear. I invested 800 euros. I was renting a tuxedo and I bought a flight and I bought a hotel near Hyde Park and all of this by myself because it wasn't paid by the organizers uh, and then to go there to refuse the award. And I had a little text statement written beforehand that I learned by heart in the plane. So how did you use AI to come up with the haunting photo that you submitted? And tell me a little bit about the process. Well, in general, you have two different ways you can, you can go. You can use language, text, describe the image by text, or you can use existing images to generate new images. And there is this crossover where you are using both. Is it a specific program or is it a collection of programs um, that you're using? Those major options you have on all platforms. And the main platforms uh, have been DALL-E2, Midjourney, um, one of the thousands of stable diffusion versions, uh, and also Adobe Firefly or Photoshop Beta. And they all share the same options. And they become more and more similar over time. It's like with social media. Yeah, You have Twitter inventing the hashtag and then later you find it everywhere. And I think this is going to happen with AI uh, image generation too. So what was the idea behind the photo that you submitted? I come from an art background. So um, since last year, I'm just using those platforms to do my little own uh, art projects. 
and I try to generate something that I couldn't do in 30 years of photographing. The beauty about working with AI in my age is I can use my 30 years of experience and it makes a difference because you can have over a dozen elements in a text prompt. Five of them everybody can use. What is happening? Where is it happening? What is the emotional quality of it? But then there are also text elements that refer to your knowledge in image making or in photography. It is, for example, uh, which camera are you using, which lens, uh, which analog film. If you use those parameters, you get a better photorealistic image than just using the keyword photorealistic. You can describe the colors, the light situation, the composition. Are you looking down onto the scenery? Are you looking up? Is there something in the foreground, middle ground, background? What kind of references in art history, schools? What about the genres? An image of a dog eating a pizza will look differently as advertising, documentary or art. Mm -hmm. And then you can have technical boosters. So the image that is mostly of 1024 pixels can look like it's more or less pixels. And that all refers to your knowledge. If you have this knowledge, you have an advantage. So AI for me is a technology where the older generation um, has a plus. It's great. It's not the association that we'd have in mind with AI. Um, usually younger people are more equipped for it. But as you mentioned, like the more you know, the more information you can feed. Um, you work with immaterial material, which mm -hmm. is uh, knowledge, experience. And uh, if you compare photography and, and the AI-generated images, which I prefer to call promptography, um, in photography, most photographers go out into the world. They interact. They need to be present. And good portraits, good photographs show an empathy. It's created with the people in front and behind of the camera in AI image generation, you don't need this. Yeah, You can be in a black box. You don't need to have a window to the outside world. If you have a clear task as a prompt engineer, you know what to do. If you're an artist, then the journey goes inwards. It's about your inner images. Uh, what has influenced me? What topics am I interested in? What are my personal heroes, references? And that is also fascinating. It opens doors to an inner journey that photography cannot do because the image you get with AI is very dependent on the input. And if you don't put enough interesting stuff in there, it's going to be mainstream all the time. So is AI a benefit or a hindrance to the visual arts? And how can it be used more constructively? Well, like... You know the saying, with a knife you can use it for um, cooking and killing. And what um, the debate has been in the past month is that can this knife get a life of its own? Can it get legs and jump off the table? And people don't know. It's a mathematical probability. And also if you talk about the arts, what kind of art? If you talk about the creative field, you have contemporary arts, you have all kinds of... of uh, design, architecture, advertising, in commercial photo jobs, it's going to have a big impact. Because um, 
in the past, if we talk about photography, uh, commercial photographers got a lot of jobs from magazines, um, from art agencies, and they all started to set up their own AI units in January. So these jobs will get less and less. What remains for photography is anything that is documentary. But then we are having a different problem talking about photojournalism. But if we talk about contemporary arts, it doesn't matter what tool you are using. And I use it as a tool. And what counts in the contemporary art world is more who is your art dealer? <laughs> what is the edition? Is it signed? How it has been produced is not important. Yeah. We had Marcel Duchamp 100 years ago creating the first ready-made. Um, anything can be used and can be declared to be art. And then it's about you and I or experts to decide is it strong art or weak art. I want to go back to the um, photo incident and ask you, what did you exactly mean by saying that the Photography Association and Awards Committee were not ready for AI? What could they do to be ready? Changing the guidelines. Being very precise if you allow generated images or not. If you think it belongs to photography or not. And we are having two teams now. Team A, which I belong to, is saying, no, no, photography is images generated with light particles. And how you produce the image is very important. And others say, it looks the same. Why don't we call it photography? And I say, you can have a plastic lemon and you can have a real lemon and they look the same. But they are not. I think it's very important um, to talk about the process of creating this image. This is why I said the photographer needs to be out in the world, needs to be present. And uh, right now, we don't have a terminology to differ. Yeah? People called it last year AI photo. And for me, it was very important to say it is not photography. We need to have new terminology. And the terminology that exists right now is synthography from synthesis. But for me, it has too many meanings. Yeah? It's synthipop, synthetic clothes, synthesizers, whatever. It's a very old term. And promptography for me is um, more hands-on because whatever you create as an image, as a moving image, as a sound, as a 3D model works with some kind of prompt. It can be text, it can be a scribble, it can be video, whatever. And that is important to make a difference. And um, Sony World Photo Awards didn't make that difference. This summer I have been at a big international photo festival in Aal talking to festival directors. And again, you can put them in the two baskets. <laughs> There are one that say, it's not photography, why should we show it? And others say, oh, I don't know, let's wait. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. But I think you really need to make up your mind. Yeah? I was invited as a judge for an AI award in Australia. And the first idea for the name of the new award was Camera Peculiar. And I said, I can't be the judge if you call it Camera Peculiar. <laughs> Because again, it's misleading. You don't need a camera to generate images. And um, I think the awareness grows that you need to be conscious about the terminology you use. And uh, we are on the right path. 
maybe it's time to dig some of the philosophy input that you have. And I wanted to ask you, what impact do you think AI is having on democracy? As an expert on AI, what advice would you give voters, for example, to be able to figure out whether what they're hearing or seeing is AI or not? Well, as an artist, I'm really enthusiastic about the new tool. As a citizen of a democracy, I'm concerned. And I have been concerned since a year. Yeah? It, and because it was very clear that at a certain time, you can't differ anymore. It's very easy to produce. And attached with social media, it's very easy to distribute in many, many numbers. And so the, the fake images outnumber the authentic images by the press, by photojournalists. And I'm active in Deutscher Fotorat, and we have been talking about this a lot yeah, since early this year, and it's part of our position paper that we want to create awareness that it's going to cause problems for democracy on many different levels. As a citizen, how can I differ if an image is authentic or generated? Um, some people want that AI image generators have a watermark so you can easily see it. I think it's not going to happen, especially with the open source models. And as I said before, generated images will outnumber authentic images. So it might be more interesting, important and helpful to create a label for authentic images. But who is going to do it? And we have already been talking to editors of the German press, the colleagues from Freelance, Fotorat, myself. I've been at the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung in, in Frankfurt. And what we realized is they have an in-house position on how to work with AI, which is not communicated to the readers and which is not communicated to the citizens because mostly they think it's interim. <laughs> it's not finished. <laughs> Let's wait. But I think that is wrong. Yeah? I think uh, as a citizen, I would love that the German press kind of unites and has uh, a similar system, how to label authentic images or how to differ them from generated images, because they will all use AI. It's going to save money. But they should create an awareness for the citizens that they are two different categories and also create an awareness about the amount of time and effort they invest in authentic images. Right now, between uh, picture editors and agencies and photographers, it's a system of trust. Mm -hmm. They say, if you cheat me, you are out. Me as a reader, I don't know this. You know? I would like to have a system where I can say, okay, there ha it, it has been fact-checked by picture editors or by agencies, and there's a certain uh, code of ethics. So... I believe them because in the future I need to change my default mode of looking at pictures to mistrust. Yeah, it sounds sad, but if I'm seeing a picture that looks like a photograph, I assume first it's generated until proven otherwise. And I think that is the future to face. Anything else would be silly. But how can we create this trust? What can we do? And there are many different initiatives that I can introduce you to. Um, what we do in Germany is having this position paper, uh, being someone um, the politicians can talk to. 
Right now, they have not. So what we are going is approaching the single politicians that are responsible for this kind of policies. And we are approaching the German press, um, the chief editors and uh, the picture editors to join a virtual round table just to discuss if we can continue with the existing workflows, if the communication needs to be different, if you can create a system like the imprint where it's very easy yeah, to check how is AI used in producing this magazine or paper. I don't have answers right now. I see the problems and I hope that many of the German press will join this round table to create those answers together. There's also a great American initiative that is going to be launched early October. It is initiated by Fred Richin, who is uh, the emeritus dean of the ICP in uh, New York and writes a lot of uh, books about the theory of photography. There are single documentary photographers. Uh, it's supported by Magnum Agency. It's supported by American universities. And they are going to launch an um, online platform which is called writingwithlight.com. And it's great. I've seen it last week. I was invited to participate in the preparations and the Zoom talk. They show why it's very important to maintain support for photojournalism, the problem that comes with AI. Um, and because universities are also attached, you have a glossary, you have a link list. Um, they also want to use this platform for media literacy. And it's great. And I try to get a word out in Europe to support it. And what they try to do is they want to create this code of ethics for photojournalists and a logo, which is like the copyright logo, that you can put to the image. So you can also uh, see it was created by someone who supports this code of ethics. But there are more initiatives. Some want to have metadata, not only for photography, but for AI-generated images. Um, others want that AI-generated images get a watermark. And um, right now, we all try to find each other to join forces because we can shape the future together. And I think um, all of them that are active are concerned and want to support democracy. That was photography and AI artist Boris Aldoxon. We also spoke to Professor Joanna Bryson of the Hattie School of Governance in Berlin. Thanks for listening to our episodes on AI's threat to democracy on both sides of the Atlantic. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and our senior producer who helped report this episode is Dina El Sayed. Our social media editor is Stefano Montali. Common Ground Berlin is funded by a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. And our partners are the German Marshall Fund of the United States and Checkpoint Charlie Foundation. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CG Berlin Podcast. <laughs>